number three. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I did forget uh, in the last hour with um, Robert. I forgot to welcome him to North Carolina. Welcome. He said he was from New Mexico. I think he said New Mexico. And uh, but now he's from uh, now he's in North Carolina. He said, well, he said he was driving through. So I don't know if he's staying. But if you're staying, uh, welcome. And uh, please do not continue to vote the way that you voted in the state that you have fled. Thank you. I am an official uh, welcome wagon representative for the state of North Carolina. Uh, not official. It's officially unofficial kind of a thing. Anyway, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. And the email is Pete at the Pete com, And on the Twitter machine at Pete Callender. Got a couple messages over there. Let's kind of clear some of these out before I mention the big guns. Again, not my arms. Um, Waukesha guy is what it looks like when a sovereign citizen loon actually makes it to court. <laughs> yeah, this is the, <clears throat> the, I, I don't even want to give the guy's name. Not because, well, actually, he doesn't want me to say his name. So I will say his name. Daryl Brooks, right. Uh, this is the guy that drove the car through the Christmas Day parade targeting people for murder. And he is defending himself. He's acting as his own lawyer. And uh, I, I watched one of the days while I was laid out sick um, last week. And I, I put on the court TV and I was just watching the live stream of it. And the guy was just a raging narcissist, sociopath, psychopath. I mean, just just crazy. And the way he was behaving, like you could tell he thought he was the smartest guy in the room and the stuff he was doing was multidimensional chess. And it wasn't You're like, dude, what are you even talking about? Um, and he's just like making all sorts of objections, getting overruled every single time. I mean, like nobody could answer a question because every single question got objected to by him and then overruled. And then when he would ask questions, usually they would get objected to by the prosecution and they would get sustained, or as Brooks called it, substained. Um, he says, uh, Eric says, if the Waukesha guy were an attorney and not representing himself, he would have long since been held in contempt and sanctioned. That's true. Yeah, the stuff he's getting away with, he's getting away with, from my understanding, is that the, from like legal observers, they're saying the judge is making... making a point to give this guy as much leeway as possible so there will be no grounds uh, to appeal based on anything she has done. Now, I did get another message here from Joseph, who says, Daryl Brooks is an idiot, but the system is content to let him represent and make an ass of himself because there's there's substantial evidence in his own social media that his massacre was racially motivated and therefore he should be charged with federal hate crime charges and eligible for the death penalty. I hear useless conservative talking heads say, imagine if the races were reversed until I'm sick of it because calling out hypocrisy doesn't work with people who have no shame, but it really is glaring in this instance. Right. Well, so here's the thing. It, It is important to like, as the judge in the case makes a record, right? I think it's important to call out the hypocrisy, but recognize that you're asking for people. I mean, the reason why you're calling out the hypocrisy and you're saying, hey, this guy should be charged with federal hate crimes 
And he's not. And the reason he is not is because he's black, the victims are white, and you have a Democrat administration, right? I'm just kind of constructing this argument on the fly here, but I assume that's how it would go. So if you're making that argument, it's important to make the argument for the record. The problem is you're asking the people who are employing the double standard to act as the referee. And the mere fact that we ask them to act as our referee gives up control. It cedes them the power. It surrenders them the power. See, I don't care what they think any longer. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not asking them. For, I don't expect them to. I don't expect this DOJ, which they're doing some. They're doing a briefing now on criminal activity in America. They're doing a live briefing. The DOJ is doing a live briefing on, this is Christopher Ray from the FBI. He's up there now. Like, do, do I believe this has something to do with the election? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, because they see the same stories I see, right? They're getting clobbered with the crime stories. The FBI crime data comes out. It shows gun crimes, homicides, violent assaults you know, on the rise. This is a problem for Democrats, so this is trying to soften the blow. This is trying to mute the criticism. This, they're hoping to get some, some good traction to, to allay some concerns, allay some fears. But you heard the story I did in the last hour about uh, the woman who was murdered getting cash out of an ATM in North Charlotte a couple months ago. They finally caught the suspect. And dude was just out of prison on a on a uh, armed burglary or armed robbery uh, charge. Just out of prison. And the son said he should never have been out on the streets. So uh, this crime issue, it's the same thing with the inflation. Like now the talking point they're giving us, and you could see it all over the media over the last three, four days, is that, oh, this is a worldwide problem. Okay. Oh, we're not as bad as the rest of the world. Okay. So what? Just the the fact that, that you've got a worldwide inflationary problem does not mean that the spending that we have in barked upon is not the cause of it and then you get by the way have you heard the clip james clyburn the whip for the democratic party in the house yeah he said in an interview over the weekend he said that we knew that uh when we passed the american rescue plan it was going to have uh and uh, it was going to have an inflationary impact it was going to drive up inflation he, they knew so he's making the connection between increased spending and inflation you cannot Print fiat currency ad infinitum. You can't just print into oblivion and not have any kind of inflationary effects. Now, they can make this argument, I guess, that they somehow saved the economy by doing so. I disagree, considering so much of the money still hasn't even been pushed out the door. But what do I know? Just a little old radio host. Um, so, yeah, so this idea that you're appealing <clears throat> to uh, to the, quote, to the the referees, media, you're asking the people who are engaged in the hypocrisy to stop because it's wrong, right? That's the standard. The standard is that there is an, a, a universal ethical right and wrong. It's wrong to engage in hypocrisy. But the, the charge of hypocrisy, I've been saying this for years, it carries no purchase any longer. It doesn't, the, the sides don't care. It doesn't matter when you're in war, 
when you're in the battle, you need as many bodies as possible on your side fighting the opponents. And that means you're going to overlook some of the transgressions and excesses of your own team in order to continue fighting the fight against the true threat. Right? That's what everybody is rationalizing. That's how, that's how everybody behaves in this, in this arena. That's what they're doing. So, I know I don't ask them. I don't ask for their... Uh, I don't ask for their their sentence or their judgment or their approval. I point out the hypocrisy because it's worth pointing out for the record, and then I move on. And at some point, again, these are not my rules. These are not my standards that I have created. I would prefer that hypocrisy be a disqualifying defect in an argument, in a person. I'd prefer that. But I don't get to write these rules. So... I just observed the, the, the current state of play. So, for example, earlier in the program, I mentioned <clears throat> that there was all of this renewed outrage today on the Twitter machine about the North Carolina legislature overriding Governor Cooper's veto of a budget, the House. This was years ago. Um, and this lie that Democrats were at a 9-11 memorial, and that's why they weren't present at the session Republicans looked around, saw Democrats weren't there, and so they were like, we got the numbers, they called for the vote, and they rammed it through. The Senate never got a vote because the Senate could never catch Democrats absent. So the lie began from Roy Cooper, the governor, who said that Democrats were at a 9-11 memorial, and that was not true. He was, but he's not in the House. So there was, uh, I think, Garland was the only one. Uh, yeah, there was was his name Garland Pierce or something like that. I forget. But there was one Democrat who was at a nine eleven memorial service, but all the other Democrats were across the street redoing gerrymandered maps, uh, redistricting. Sorry. And so this outrage over this, you know, uh, that they would do such a thing. How dare they? Those Republicans. They actually are not the real patriots. Because there used to be a time when all parties were patriots. Democrats and Republicans used to rally together around like the singing of the national anthem and the flag and America. We all thought it was really good. It was a great country. Uh, now I'm not, so, uh, I'm not so clear. But the problem is Democrats would very much like, I mean, just for electoral prospects, would very much like to recapture this, just like they would like to be the party of law enforcement. We saw some of their efforts in the waning days of this election cycle because they got you know, branded with the defund the police moniker. So they were trying to do these, oh, no, we're actually pro-cop. Look at us. And, oh, Ted Budd voted against the police funding bill that was attached to a whole bunch of other garbage, right? So they're trying to rebrand. So they try to take back this mantle of patriotism. So here is a helpful suggestion from me to Democrats. When engaging in a political campaign event at a uh, memorial site, Do not stand on the memorial stone honoring a dead person who's a veteran. Do not use it as a stepping stone to get up to another platform. Don't stand on it and tap your foot on the marker, right? Just general word of advice. I didn't feel I would ever need to say that, but after what happened the other day in in Clyde, North Carolina, I feel like it's worth a mention. Get into some of the details in a moment.
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Talk a little bit about the big gun in Clyde. Haywood County, North Carolina. Out west, and I spent a good bit of time down in uh, that part of the state and uh, spent some time in Clyde, downtown Clyde. Great little downtown area. Um, And they have what they call the big gun. And it is, in fact, a very large gun (laughs) right in the middle of downtown. No, it's not like a firearm, like personal firearm. No, this thing is a 50-millimeter mounted anti-aircraft gun, like off of a ship, literally. Came from the Norfolk Naval Base, and it serves as a memorial honoring the veterans of World War I, World War II, the Korean conflict, and the Vietnam War. The gun itself weighs somewhere north of 17,000 pounds. It's gray. And um, there's a bronze plaque bearing the names of 13 veterans in Clyde Township who gave their lives in service. And uh, the story I was told was that uh, essentially they were decommissioning some ships after uh, the war and they were like, hey, we got this. Uh, this big gun, you guys want it? And they were like, yeah, we'll take it. And they just put it in downtown. That was like, that's the extent of it. Um, On the opposite side of the gun, a small rectangular marble block is mounted adjacent to the gun's base. So when I say the base, the base of this gun, it's like a big circle and it's elevated up out of the ground, probably a good two feet. And so it's a big concrete round platform that this big anti-aircraft gun sits on. And it's right in downtown. And wedged up next to it is this square uh, stone plaque. It's like a stone pedestal, and it's at the same level as the uh, the circle platform. right? So it's as high as the circle platform, but it's square. It's an add-on. It was, it's a small rectangular marble block that was mounted right up next to the gun's base. That displays a separate inscription. That marble block honors a Vietnam veteran, and a bronze plaque listing five Vietnam War dead is also present. And then there's a plaque to Milton Bucky Brown uh, that was added for the rededication back in 2028. So that's sort of the background on the big gun. And it's always been a meeting place. People say, you know, go meet you at the big gun, and... Got to take a look at the big gun. If you ever get a chance, go down to the big gun in Clyde. It's worth a stop. If you're going out to, like, uh, the mountains or whatever, stop off in Clyde. Beautiful area, little downtown. Um, and, uh, oh, and uh, Old Grouch's military surplus is right there, too. That's how I know I would go into Old Grouch's. It was right there. And um, this um, this marble block that's right up next to the base of the big gun is in memory of Charles Crockett Matthews died August 13th, 1969 South Vietnam erected by his wife, Mary. It's just, it's a marker, just a simple marble marker. Okay. And it's about two feet high and it's got the name. It's got that, uh, those words, you know, imprinted, carved into the top of it. So the top of the, of the stone is what you read. Okay, so now you're aware of, of, of the, the layout. Okay, well, the other day, there was a 
um, there was a political campaign event. It was hosted by, uh, what's his face? Romillard. Josh Remillard for NC House. Uh, He's running in the 118th, I believe. Um, And he says, as a veteran, I could think of no better place to have hosted our Freedom Fest celebration than in Clyde. The Big Gun Memorial, located at the corner of Main and Depot Streets, is a beloved veteran's memorial honoring my brothers and sisters in arms who made the ultimate sacrifice in service to our country, protecting our freedoms and our rights. Let's meet at the Big Gun is a popular saying in the community and Clyde's 100-year-old Sarah Brown, who is Joe Sam Queen. He's a state lawmaker, is running for office, um, did just that. Thank you for coming out to share in the celebration, Aunt Sarah. Friends, please honor the sacrifice of our veterans by getting out to vote. Early voting is from now through November 5th with Election Day, November 8th. Okay, so this was his event. Build it as a pro-veterans event. He also had appearing with him, not just uh, Joe Sam Queen, but also Larry Bryson, Democratic candidate for sheriff in Haywood County. And also Jasmine Beach Ferrara. She is uh, uh, Buncombe County Commissioner. She's running for State House as well. Or Congress. Is she running for Congress? <clears throat> no. St- yeah, she's running for Congress against um, what would have been Madison Cawthorn, but now it's Chuck Edwards, right? She's running against Chuck Edwards. Jasmine Beach Ferrara. Big time lefty. Um, two of them, Ferrara and Joe Sam Queen, stood on the marker for the fallen soldier. Sergeant Charles Crockett Matthews, that little square marker. So, because there's not a lot of room on the base, this round base where the gun is, there's not a lot of room. So they stood, well, Jasmine Beach Ferrara, she comes running up from the crowd when they call her up to the, quote, stage, which is the war memorial, and she uses the the block as a stepping stone. She, like, jumps up on it and <laughs> jumps up onto the platform with the gun. Kind of bad form. Well, she not only stood on it, she used it as a step stool. And then Joe Sam Queen, he stood on it for a long time. And again, the words are right there. You could see them right there. Now, maybe they didn't know. Maybe they didn't care. Apparently, Josh Remillard is uh, deleting people's comments off of his Facebook post about it. But they posted all the pictures and the video up there. And now, apparently, the North, uh, the Haywood County Democratic Party, they're defending it. They're like, no big deal. He's pro-veteran. I don't know what you think the problem is. Um, He's a veteran. And uh, he has the utmost respect for the memorial and the man it honors. I don't know if that actually shows the utmost respect, though. And Remillard didn't stand on the marker, but Ferrara did. And Josie and Queen did. Did they notice that or not? I don't know. But this is a big deal in Clyde. Standing on the marker, using it as a stepping stone. I mean, there's like a little bit of, I mean, it's, it's kind of on the nose, right? Going to use the veteran as a stepping stone at the memorial for a political campaign. It's a little, a little on the nose. Yeah. Give me a little more, a little more cowbell. 
Here's an email from Ellen to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Hi, Pete. Love your show. Thank you, Ellen. Love your show. Uh, the problem with the older eighth grade students is that they have now, by the time they're in the eighth grade, spent all their free time for several years on phones doing TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, et cetera, et cetera. They are not spending enough time reading and studying. It's not their priority anymore. So sad. China loves it, though. Thanks. Um, thank you, Ellen. Yeah, I appreciate it. Oh, I heard, saw somebody was talking about how they may be looking at the Biden administration, maybe now looking at labeling TikTok or banning TikTok, I should say, because of its connections with the communist Chinese regime. Which I'm, it's going to be hilarious to watch everybody do the 180 on that one, right? Because when Trump said to, you know, we should probably ban it because of those connections, everybody was like, oh, my God, what a tyrant, you know. But if Biden does it, it'll be totally fine. Thomas says, Pete, questions. How bad were the test scores of the thousands of students that did not participate in the online studies? And where did they go? Good question. Yeah, I mean, the the NAEP scores that we went over at the first hour, uh, the nation's report cards, right, the the gains that were made to close the achievement gap between whites and blacks and whites and Hispanics, all of those gains have been wiped out thanks to the closure of schools during the pandemic. And that's just measuring the kids that took the tests. Think about all the kids that weren't even there to take the tests. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Um, oh, I got this too. Sherry Beasley. Who's coming to town? Some people. There are people coming to town. Oh, here it is. So Joe Bruno at WSOC TV says that second gentleman Doug Emhoff and DNC chair Jamie Harrison are holding early voting events tomorrow in Kannapolis, Charlotte, Asheville, and Boone. Numerous lawmakers will be at the events. Sherry Beasley is not attending any of the rallies per organizers. So four different cities, Kannapolis, Charlotte, Asheville, and Boone. You got Kamala Harris's husband, which I got to say, just of all the titles, second gentleman. That's, that's like the, that's like the worst. It really is. So can we just can we create an undersecretary position for this title instead? Does it need to be? Do I need to come up with another title? Look, I've been working on. Oh, I just got a message. Somebody used the word votainer in a classroom environment. That's right, people. It's happening slowly but surely, like a rash. It's happening. The term votainer shall be known near and near. Votainer instead of vote getter. It's such a cleaner word. It's such a better sounding word. Votainer, not vote getter. Vote getter is clumsy and awkward. Anyway, uh, second gentleman, terrible title. We need to come up with another idea for that one. Second dude, veep dude, veep man, whatever. Um, Doug Emhoff. I always forget this guy's name. Like, if I didn't see it written, like, if you have it written in front of me, I will say Doug Emhoff. Oh, yeah, that's Kamala Harris's husband. But if you ask me what her husband's name is, I'm not going to remember it. (laughs) I just, I'm not going to, it's just such a forgettable name. But now that I've said it several times, I may never forget it. Anyway, 
So four different cities doing rallies for Democratic Party candidates, and Sherry Beasley running for Senate, not going to be at any of them. Jonathan Feltz tweeted out kudos to Sherry Beasley's director of scheduling conflicts. <laughs> Who obviously there has to be a there has to be a position for this, right? You cannot avoid all of these Biden administration officials coming to North Carolina without somebody actively planning for you to be somewhere really far away, unable to get to any of these four locations. Um. Oh, and then there's this. Yeah, then there's this. Um. Did you know that the Democratic Party, this may come as a shock to you, but they actually use paid organizers? It's true. Campaign coordinator organizers or whatever. It's not totally grassroots. Not all the time. I'm not saying there aren't grassroots activists. I'm saying that they pay. They hire a lot of these people. In fact, a lot of them have now unionized because, you know, Democrats. And uh, some problems. There are some problems now. They've been working on a contract. Them being a union and all, they would very much like to have some of their benefits codified. And uh, what's it? Josephus Springfield would say, embiggened, right? Get some of these uh, benefits embiggened. Weeks ago, our unit proposed a new contract with the North Carolina Democratic Party addressing pay and safety and health care concerns. This is from the. Uh, the CWG Workers Field Staff Union for the North Carolina Democratic Party. The Campaign Workers Guild, CWG, Campaign Workers Guild, NC Dems Unite. Okay, that's their official name, NC Dems Unite. That's the local union for the Campaign Workers Guild. Okay. And they send out a series of tweets talking about how they had proposed a new contract. But the Democratic Party would not agree to meet for negotiations until right before the election so they could run out the clock on agreeing to a fair contract. Union busting Democrats. But instead, they sent out a counterproposal which reflects a substantial reduction in pay and benefits when compared with the 2020 contract. Really? So you made a proposal and they actually countered with a worse deal than you got two years ago? The union says this is unacceptable. As wages and benefits trend up in the industry, both nationally and in North Carolina, the Democratic Party in this state wants to cut benefits and pay for the organizers who make the campaign possible. Interesting. Democrats trying to cut benefits. Huh. You don't say. The proposed contract from the Democratic Party eliminates severance pay, eliminates an entire month of health care. <gasps> really? It eliminates the technology stipend and includes no raise. Other field workers in the state are making 20 to $25 an hour, while coordinated organizers are still paid $15.36 an hour, the same as in 2020. We will not accept this dramatic cut in our compensation. We will not accept a contract without fair pay. Remember, this campaign cannot run without us. We deserve a fair contract. That was their tweet storm. So, uh, I don't know what to make of it, but this doesn't seem like it's going to be good for 
party trying to run a campaign. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of a lot of positive stuff going on, right? <laughs> you got you got Sherry Beasley refusing to be in anywhere in the same city as these uh, administration officials, and you got the the grassroots organizer union people not happy because they can't get paid. Maybe a strike. Ooh, maybe we'll see scabs. Then there's this story out of Axios.com by Lucille Sherman. Sherman. A North Carolina lawmaker running for re-election assaulted his then-wife back in 1994, 22 years before he was first elected. That according to court records obtained by Axios, I'm sure after his opponent told Axios about it, The case resurfaced this week with less than a month until Election Day when Republicans detailed the incident in a campaign mailer. In response, the lawmaker, Democratic State Representative Terry Garrison, and his now ex-wife are calling it a politically motivated attack. I mean, the mailer, not his whipping up on her, but the mailer is a politically motivated attack by Republicans aiming to gain power in the legislature. Hmm. Well, yeah, right, sure, but you you still did this thing, did you not? Well, his ex-wife is named Dolores German, and a judge granted her a temporary restraining order against Terry Garrison back in 1994, December 94. She had said at the time, in order to get the TRO, she said, quote, he picked me up and threw me across the footboard onto the bed, jumped on my back, and started choking me. Bruising her shoulder and throat, German detailed in a complaint she filed two days after the incident. She then withdrew that complaint a couple weeks later, and the pair divorced four years after that. Republicans, who are aiming to win a supermajority in the legislature this November, sent out a mailer attacking Garrison Wednesday, calling him a domestic abuser and highlighting that German wrote in the 1994 uh, what she wrote in the filing. But Garrison has an unlikely defender. It's his ex-wife, Dolores German. Okay, first off, is that really unlikely? I mean, I don't know. My knowledge of this topic is not very wide or deep, but even I'm aware that victims of domestic violence oftentimes defend their abusers. They oftentimes drop the complaints. They don't want to file complaints. They won't testify. They don't want the man removed from that. They just want him to stop, right? Because they love him. They just want, okay, yes, I'm assuming it's a man beating up on the woman, but it doesn't always have to be. But they want the guy to stop and they want a better life, but they oftentimes don't want to cooperate with law enforcement and the courts. So I don't know if it's an unlikely defender. There's another thing that makes it not really an unlikely uh, defender. It's that uh, she is a big time um, partisan. Like she's in, she's very into Democrat Party politics. So keeping this seat held by the Democrats is of particular interest to her. 
Uh, she says, do, 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 German said, with, uh, with Garrison standing nearby, she said voters should focus on what her ex-husband has fought for during his three terms in office. She pointed to several issues, including Medicaid expansion and women's reproductive rights. Hmm? Representative Garrison is not new in Raleigh, and he's represented us well. We're hoping that voters will see all of this, she said. Um, where is it here? German, here it is. German was among those who signed on to a lawsuit along with the North Carolina League of Conservation Voters accusing Republicans of partisan gerrymandering. So she was one of the plaintiffs in the case against the GOP. So that's not, you don't get added to that list of plaintiffs without knowing some people, you know? That's how, so this is who she is, right? So she's a partisan activist, Democrat activist. Get this. When asked whether he regrets his actions, Garrison reiterated that the event occurred nearly 30 years ago and emphasized the same points that his ex-wife made, saying the incident was resolved in a friendly and amicable manner. So when asked if he had regrets, his answer was, it happened 30 years ago. So that's a no? Is that a no? Sounds like a no. Right? Because if you had regrets, you would be like, oh, of course I regret it. I wish that never happened. Again, yes, you could play what if it was a Republican, but I'm not asking Democrats to police themselves on that. Oh, I mentioned this too, so let me get to it. We are one of the rattiest cities in America. WSOC-TV reporting that the pest control company Orkin put together a list of 50 U.S. cities. Well, of course, we're going to be on a list of 50 U.S. cities. We're one of the top 50 biggest. And that's always that always takes into account the rat population, right? When they do the census count, they're always counting rats, too. Does that not how that works? Anyway, 50 U.S. cities uh, they have, uh, that have seen an increase in new rodent treatments since last year. That list was released this week. Charlotte landed near the tail end at number 38. Number 38. You know who's rattier than us? Raleigh. <laughs> oh, you hate to see it. Raleigh comes in at 32. Moves up three places in the rankings. Charlotte moved up four placements. Uh, four places. Uh, we're now 38th. Greenville, I hear you laughing. No, no, Greenville, you're at 41. And Charleston at 47. Which... I mean, I don't know about rats, but cockroaches. Or, sorry. Yes, yes. Palmetto bugs. Those are just roaches. Um, man, those things like the size of a football down there. Um, Orkin recommends, they say that this is the time of year uh, that uh, mice and other rodents typically enter the homes. It's just coincidental that it's election season. But October through February, you want to be on the lookout. Because they are looking for food, they're looking for water, they're looking for shelter. So you need to be on the lookout for poop, gnaw marks, nests, rub marks, and strange noises in the home. Which usually indicates that you got one of those, you know, door knockers for a campaign. That's usually what that's about. All right. Winterville's up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. (laughs) 